bringing you the latest in tax credit news. This is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. The legislative challenges have been significant. We very much need the legislation. we got to produce housing. We're still in a very volatile industry. It's a challenging atmosphere for almost anyone. We can't get all these mixed signals and messages. If he doesn't have a bipartisan bill, nothing's going to happen. Alternative energy is still very expensive. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, December 13, 2011. I will start this week's podcast with an update on the status of tax extenders legislation in Congress. Then, in our New Market Tax Credit section, I'll review the latest QEI issuance report and share highlights of recent remarks made by CDFI Fund Director Donna Gambrell. In our Historic Tax Credit section, I'll refer listeners to important new resources available for the tax credit community to support the Historic Tax Credit Program. I will also share news about the recently approved Native American Traditional Cultural Landscapes Action Plan. In our Renewable Energy Tax Credit segment, I'll discuss two letters sent to congressional leaders last week urging the extension of a number of renewable energy tax incentives. I will also summarize a proposed rule that would reform federal surface leasing regulations for American Indian lands. And finally, in our low-income housing tax credit section, I'll discuss efforts in the state of New York to secure additional tax credit authority for areas recovering from Hurricane Irene and Tropical Storm Lee. I will also discuss legislation introduced last month to fund an initiative known as Project Rebuild. So if you're ready, let's get started. In general news, at the time of this recording, lawmakers had not yet come to an agreement that would allow them to pass a tax extenders package. Both parties have expressed a desire to extend several expiring provisions, such as the payroll tax cut and unemployment benefits. The sticking point is disagreement over how to pay for such a package. On Friday, Ways and Means Chairman Dave Camp introduced H.R. 3630, the Middle Class Tax Relief and Job Creation Act. The bill would extend for one year the 2% rate reduction in the payroll tax. That was enacted back in 2010 and expires at the end of this year. This Middle Class Tax Relief and Job Creation Act would also extend the unemployment insurance benefits, although gradually reducing the length of time you could be claiming them from 99 weeks to 59 weeks. I also note, which might be of particular interest to our listeners, the House bill does, it does include an extension of the 100% expensing of certain depreciable assets. Now, Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid immediately dismissed the bill because it contains a provision related to an oil pipeline that he said will prevent the package from passing in the Senate. President Obama has also promised to veto any bill with that provision. Current expectations are the bill would pass the House, and then the Senate would amend it, and that amended bill would then go back to the House. In this context of gridlock, the outlook does appear dim for the consideration of a tax bill that would extend the 9% tax credit percentage floor for the loan-completing tax credit program, and perhaps more importantly, would extend the new market tax credit program. It's beginning to look like a general tax extenders package in the 30 to $40 billion range is likely to be considered sometime next year, possibly in the context of tax reform. However, things can always change quickly in the Capitol, so I encourage you to follow me on Twitter to keep track of any new developments between now and next Tuesday's podcast. In new market tax credit news, 
Last week, the CDFI Fund released its monthly update to its ongoing Qualified Equity Investment Issuance Report. The report identifies the dollar amount of allocation authority that has been issued to investors, as well as the amount remaining to be issued to investors. In November, approximately $200 million of QEIs were finalized. This is a sharp decrease from October and September, when $1 billion and $885 million of QEIs were finalized, respectively. Now, many listeners will recall that the dramatic increase in QEIs in September and October was linked to the ninth round eligibility requirement. The $200 million amount for November is a relatively standard amount for an average month. Now, the amount still available in New Market Tax Allocation Authority remain is approximately $4.3 billion. This is as of December 1st. Now, unfortunately, much of this $4.3 billion, while technically not finalized, has already been set aside for transactions that are in the process of closing. Now, if you're looking for help in finding an allocation or help in closing a transaction, I would encourage you to contact one of my partners. Feel free to contact Annette Stevenson in our Cleveland, Ohio office or Owen Gray in our San Francisco office or other partners in other Novogratic offices near you. Now, turning to the CDFI fund, speaking to attendees last week at the 2011 New Markets Tax Credit Coalition Annual Conference, CDFI fund director Donna Gambrell did share several updates regarding the New Market Tax Credit. She reported that the CDFI fund is currently evaluating applications for the ninth round of the program, and she said they're still on schedule to make an award announcement in February. She acknowledged that as the new year approaches, the New Market Tax Credit program faces a degree of uncertainty because Congress has not yet reauthorized the program for calendar year 2012. However, she noted that the President's budget does include the New Market Tax Credit program for 2012. And she assured the audience that the CDFI Fund has been doing everything it can to ensure that Congress understands the vital role the New Market Tax Credit program plays. She said, and I quote, Despite the difficult budget negotiations, we remain optimistic that the new market tax credit program will be extended. She then reminded the attendees of the CDFI Fund's invitation for public comment on several aspects of the new market tax credit program. There's actually six key points in the request for comments. The new market tax credit working group is currently preparing a response to those six points, which actually includes several sub-questions. And if you have comments you'd like to share, please send me an email. Now, she also touched on a topic that many community development professionals have been wondering about. When, the, when will the CDFI fund begin using data from the 2010 census to determine investment eligibility? Unfortunately, she couldn't provide a definitive answer, but she did say that once the Census Bureau completes its data release of the five-year American Community Survey for 2006 to 2010, then the CDFI fund's SIMS data system will be updated. Now, these remarks were made on December 5th, and on December 8th, the Census Bureau released the updated ACS data. Now, the CDFI fund will still need time to update its system, as well as to develop a policy for grandfathering current projects aligned with currently eligible tracks, as well as maintaining the 2000 Census data alongside the new ACS data and the 2010 decennial data. Now, as soon as changes are announced by the CDFI fund, Novogratz and company will update subscribers through our free industry alert email service. I also note that the New Market Tax Credit Working Group has submitted a suggested transition rule so those who are working in projects now using the 2000 census data don't have to worry about the effectiveness, the effective date of any future release. 
we are thinking that the 2010 data is likely to be available for new market hash rate transactions sometime in the summer. Now, in the meantime, as I mentioned, allocates are still required to use the 2000 census data to determine investment eligibility. Now, I'm also pleased to note that Director Gambrell highlighted a recent new market test rate transaction that supported the expansion of Stinger Welding, a manufacturing company in Libby, Montana. This important project was featured in the Novogratic Journal of Tax Credits. And as Director Gambrell noted in her remarks, the project was also recognized with the Novogratic Community Development Foundation's top award for Qualified Low-Income Community Investment of the Year, this in the Operating Business category. If you want to learn more about the Stinger Welding Project, or the Novogratz Community Development Foundation Community Development Awards, go to www.newmarketscredits.com. In other award news, the CDFI Fund last week did encourage community development professionals to submit nominations for the 2012 Community Reinvestment Awards. The 2012 awards will honor financial institutions covered by the Community Reinvestment Act that are working to strengthen small businesses. Now, all nominations must be submitted by 5 p.m. on January 13th. Award recipients will be recognized at an awards luncheon at the 2012 National Interagency Community Reinvestment Conference. The 2012 National Interagency Community Reinvestment Conference will be held on March 25th to the 28th in Seattle, Washington. Those interested in applying for the awards can download the call for nominations and submit the nominations at www.frbsf.com. Org. That's Federal Reserve Bank of San Francisco, www.frbsf.org. In historic tax credit news, the National Trust for Historic Preservation has created a web page where it has posted resources for supporters of the historic tax credit. The trust warns that in the context of the deficit reduction measures that are currently being debated on Capitol Hill, the federal historic tax credit program is at risk. The group says these very real risks reveal that Congress does not recognize the credit's track record of revitalizing cities and towns while returning vacant or underused historic buildings to a productive, taxable use. As such, the Trust has posted links to several useful advocacy resources for the tax credit community. Now, these resources include the top 10 reasons to support the historic tax credit, information about the economic impact of the federal historic tax credit, tax credit project profiles, and the top three reasons to support the CAP, C-A-P-P Act. Now, in case you missed it, the CAP Act is H.R. 2479. It's also called the Creating American Prosperity Through Preservation Act. The bill was introduced by Congressman Schock and Blumenauer, and the bill would enhance the historic tax credit's impact on local economies. Now, you can find all this information online at www.preservationnation.org backslash issues. Simply scroll down and click on the link for tax incentives. Now, in other news, members of the Advisory Council on Historic Preservation voted unanimously on November 10th to adopt the Native American Traditional Cultural Landscapes Action Plan. Back in 1992, Congress amended the National Historic Preservation Act to clarify that historic properties of religious and cultural significance to Indian tribes and Native Hawaiian organizations, or NHOs, may be eligible for the National Register of Historic Places. ACHP says that since then, 
it has seen a steady increase in the number of Section 106 reviews involving such historic properties. At the Council's summer business meeting in August, members participated in a forum about this topic. The Council reports that since then, staff members have worked with the National Park Service to develop the action plan. The plan is intended to address the challenges all Section 106 participants face in identifying and treating large-scale historic properties and tribal lands. You can read the plan and more information online at www.achp.gov. In Renewable Energy Tax Credit news, Congressional Democrats sent two letters last week urging Congressional leaders to extend the Section 1603 Cash Grant Program, a program set to expire on December 31, 2011. The Senate letter was signed by 34 Democratic Senators, and it was sent to Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid, Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, Finance Committee Chairman Max Baucus, and Finance Committee Ranking Member Orrin Hatch. The letter said that the Section 1603 program has supported 290,000 jobs and leveraged $23 billion in private investment. In a letter to House Speaker John Boehner, House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi, House Majority Leader Eric Cantor, and House Minority Whip Cindy Hoyer, 88 Democratic representatives also cited the job creation and private investment spurred by the program. While the lawmakers cited the Section 1603 program as the most critical tax provision set to expire this year, they're also calling for the renewal of two tax credits set to expire at the end of 2012. Both the Advanced Energy Manufacturing Tax Credit, that was enacted by the Recovery Act, and the Production Tax Credit are slated to expire at this time next year. The Senate Democrats, in their letter, urged extensions for the two tax credits and a handful of Republicans are said to support their extension. Copies of the letters can be found online at www.energytaxcredits.com. Now, turning to the Secretary of the Interior, last week, Secretary of the Interior Ken Salazar and Assistant Secretary for Indian Affairs Larry Echohawk announced a significant reform of federal surface leasing regu- regulations for American Indian lands. Secretary Salazar and Echohawk say the reform will expedite economic development and spur renewable energy development in Indian country. The proposed rule would modify regulations that govern the Bureau of Indian Affairs process for approving the lease of surface areas on lands the federal government holds in trust for tribes and individuals. As trustee, the Department of the Interior is responsible for managing approximately 56 million surface acres in Indian country. The existing regulations were adopted in my year of birth, 1961, and they take a one-size-fits-all approach to processing all surface leases. The proposed reform establishes separate, simplified processes for residential business and renewable energy development. The Department of the Interior reports that during the initial consultation period, more than 2,300 comments were received from more than 70 tribes as well as several federal agencies, including HUD, USDA, and the IRS. The publication of the proposed rule was last week in the Federal Register, and it kicks off a 60-day public comment period. The final rule is expected sometime in 2012. I also wanted to note that there is an upcoming hearing on Wednesday, December 14th, by the Senate Finance Subcommittee on Energy. It's a hearing on the alternative energy tax incentives in the Internal Revenue Code. It's particularly focused on the effect of short-term extensions of such provisions. The hearing is going to be 9.30 a.m. 
this Wednesday, and that's Eastern Time. In low-income tax credit news, the New York State Association for Affordable Housing, NYSAFA, reported late last month that it is advocating for an additional low-income housing tax rate allocation to support rebuilding in New York communities, particularly communities recovering from Hurricane Irene and Tropical Storm Lee. The association reports that New York Congressman Tom Reed and Chris Gibson have submitted a proposal to the Ways and Means Committee, a proposal that would award to 10 flood-damaged states an additional 50% of their annual low-income housing tax credit allocation. This equates to $20 million additional long housing tax credits for New York, based on the state's approximately $40 million annual allocation. The group estimates the additional $20 million allocation will support the production and rehabilitation of at least 1,500 units of affordable housing. There is strong precedence for this request and the effectiveness of long housing tax credit allocations to alleviate flood devastation. Of note, Midwest states received a bonus of $8 per capita in long housing tax credits for 2008 2009 and 2010. And from 2006 to 2008, the Gulf Opportunity Zone Act, or Go Zone Act, awarded $1 billion annually, or $3.3 billion total, of additional long housing tax credits to Alabama, Louisiana, and Mississippi to help them rebuild from flooding caused by Hurricanes Katrina and Wilma. To find out what you can do to support the bill, go to nysafa.org. That's N-Y-S-A-F-A-H.org. In other legislative news, last month, Representative Maxine Waters of California introduced H.R. 3502. It's entitled the Project Rebuild Act of 2011. Project Rebuild would build on the Neighborhood Stabilization Program, or NSP, and is very similar to that program. Local governments and not-for-profits have been using NSP funds since 2008 to acquire and rehabilitate abandoned and foreclosed homes, which they then sell to low- and moderate-income buyers. The Project Rebuild Act would provide $15 billion to continue that work. The main differences between Project Rebuild and NSP are that commercial properties would also be eligible under the proposed program and for-profit entities would be able to participate. Representative Waters says that Project Rebuild could rehabilitate 150,000 distressed properties and support as many as 191,000 jobs. Listeners may recall that Project Rebuild was originally proposed by President Obama in September as part of the American Jobs Act. At the time of this recording, H.R. 3502 had 17 co-sponsors. You can find a copy of the bill online at www.hudresourcecenter.com. And if you have additional questions about Project We Build or other HUD matters, I encourage you to contact my partner, Susan Wilson, in our Austin, Texas office. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. Please join me again next week for another Tax Credit Tuesday. And in the interim, don't forget to follow me on Twitter. This is Michael Novogratik, and I'll be back next Tuesday. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratik & Company, LLP. Archived discussions are available online at www.novoco.com slash podcast or by subscribing to the Novogratik Report on tax credits in iTunes. Novogratik and Company LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with 13 offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novago.com.